Finish presents Doctor Who, Short Trips, Doctors and Dragons by Alfie Shaw, read by Sophie Aldred. Decker had wondered many times about how she would die. In battle would have been her preference, whilst slaying the last of the dragons entombed atop Mount Isinglir, or bravely ridding the Vashnar swamps of the Bubble Witches. Yet, during these contemplations, she had never considered the possibility of being poisoned far from the battlefield. She mused on this as she lay swaddled in the comfort of her own bed, her blood laced with poison. Here lies Decker, she thought, killed by an enemy too cowardly to fight. I will tell them you died slaying bark demons, said Rhea, or saving a child's kitten who ran into the woods. Decker turned her head to look at Rhea. She was hunched over a cauldron, stirring the contents. Every stir was driven by the fury of those who fight the inevitable. Rhea had fought death many times and triumphed. It would not win today. <laughs> Cats bring me out in rashes. Decker protested through a fit of coughing. Even better, said Rhea. A dangerous voyage into the dark woods. You beat down the evil bark demons, but, oh no, you are mortally wounded. You scoop up the distressed cat, heroically carry yourself home, skin itching as you go. You clamber through the door, tell me to give the moggy back to Hernus, and die of your wounds in bed. I take said cat... Decker started coughing heavily. Ernest doesn't have a cat, said Decker, wiping her mouth with her sleeve. No, but she's always wanted one, said Rhea. She looked over at the mirror that hung above Decker's bed. She could see, floating above her head, a shifting kaleidoscope of numbers. Nine, twenty, three, seventeen. The changes became sluggish and then ceased. The number 19 hung in the air. Rhea smiled to herself as it faded away. The potion would work. Decker would live. Decker, however, lay in ignorance of her good fortune. She spied Rhea's smile and thought it in terrible taste. So, this is the end of it? She inquired, hope hanging off every syllable. Rhea shook her head. Fate has granted a respite. This will slow the poison, but neutralising it will require something very rare. Rhea's reply irritated Decker. The only thing worse than a dishonourable death was a dishonourable death delayed. Yet she knew better than to question Rhea on such matters. Rhea seemed to have some insight that eluded Decker, always knowing before she finished something how it would turn out. Decker was lucky to have such a guardian. Ladling the potion into a little bowl, Rhea helped pour it down Decker's throat. I'll be gone for a couple of days. Shouldn't take any longer, said Rhea. I'll get Gavaroche to tend you while I'm away. And what is so important that you're going to leave me alone with the most boring man in the world? Decker asked. The blood of a dragon, replied Rhea. The severity of the task hung in the air. Decker was the first to break it. You will get it, won't you? 
A kitten for Hernus? I should, Rhea began. Rhea, I'm serious. I, I, I don't want... Th this isn't... Rhea rested her hand on Decker's shoulder. I promise I'll get it, said Rhea. Everything froze, went a striking shade of yellow, and then slowly faded to nothing. And that is why your ward must die, Rhea said as she closed the magic window. The journey to the peak of Mount Isinglir had been arduous, but she had finally arrived at the Temple of the Dragon. The faded red walls were iced with snow and the imposing doors were locked. When she initially tried to open them, she had had this reaffirmed to her by the temple's most unusual guardian. He was built like a goblin and carried a curious scabbard with a curved red hilt. As I said before, I'm afraid I can't let you do that. The dragon isn't to be disturbed, the little man replied. But perhaps there is something I could do for your sister. I'm the doctor. Not good enough, Rhea declared. I don't know you. Even if you are trustworthy, if you don't know what to do, then I would have to waste time coming back. What I've given her doesn't last long enough to cover a return journey. I have been known to crack impossible situations before, the doctor retorted, and time is something of a speciality of mine. Please, I can help. Above the doctor's head, Rhea saw the churning maelstrom of numbers. Noticing her gaze, the doctor looked up. Ah, he said, but of course. The amorphous whirl of numbers slowed, until he was crowned with the number four. Rhea watched the doctor slump in defeat. He knew about the numbers. Not only that, he could see them and interpret their meaning. She would ask him about that once he opened the temple to her. The doctor, however, clearly thought the matter a little more pressing. Fascinating, said the doctor. Do you know, of everyone who's come to try and look in on my acquaintance... You're the only one who's seen them. Does it not terrify you to think that your life could be decided by the spin of the wheel? The roll of the dice? Random events shape every life. At least I know which road fate has destined me to take. Rhea was judging the doctor as she replied. She wondered if it would be quicker to kill this guard as well as the creature. Her hand inched towards her sword a move she instantly regretted making. Killing me won't help you, said the doctor. The door opens only to me, and even then, there are other surprises inside. Furious with herself for giving away her plan, Rhea continued to study the doctor. He thought himself clever, and traps are disarmed quicker by those who make them. Clearly, he did not respond well to threats. The concern for Decker had seemed genuine, even though the numbers had prevented him from success. That was the way in. She felt a word falling out of her mouth, one she had not used in an age. Please, please help me, she implored. My sister is the only thing that I have left in this world. If you wish to help her, then please let me into your temple. 
Her plea was made and answered. The doctor's eyes grew wide in alarm when he saw the number 20 floating above his head, along with the words, Critical Success, written underneath. Through gritted teeth, he said, Perhaps it would be for the best. Rhea was not going to question her good fortune, but she was curious about the furious look on the little man's face. Before, whenever she had successfully charmed or bluffed someone, they knew nothing of what was happening. This man knew that he was acting against his own desires. The resistance passed as the two of them moved to the door, the doctor clearly embracing what had been decreed for him. He rummaged in his jacket pockets and started pulling out keys. He muttered words to himself as he held each one, words Rhea didn't understand. TARDIS, Houdini, Ronnie Scott. How long have you been able to see them? The doctor asked, comparing two different sized keys. Ever since I was 14. Decker and I were out hunting boar in the Shingir forest when she was attacked by a young bark demon. I drew my bow and prayed to the gods that I wouldn't miss. They answered. The number 20 floated above me with their message. I didn't know what it meant, but it was a sign. So I fired. The demon splintered entirely. After that, I kept seeing them. Over time, I decoded their messages. Low is bad, high is good. Twenty means the gods are pleased with me and empower me with their might. Ones. I fear ones. She trailed off. The doctor, having decided none of the keys in his jacket would suffice, started rummaging through his trouser pockets. But not your sister, he asked. She has never shared in my gifts. Before today, I thought I was the only one. Upon hearing this, the doctor's mood elevated. Introspection turned to frivolity, as though he had just remembered he was entertaining a guest. I would never think you are alone in your situation. The universe is full of surprises, particularly this one. In a theatrical sweep, he removed his hat, chuckled at what he found within, and produced a small silver key. A second lock slivered into existence on the temple wall, and the pleasant hum rang out again as he turned the silver key. All fell silent. Then, a distant thump from within. A second, closer. A third, rapidly followed by a fourth and fifth. The thumping grew and grew until it sounded like the temple contained a thousand armies marching without direction. It ended as swiftly as it began and the huge, imposing doors of the temple faded away. Faced with only a wall, Rhea reached for her sword and held it to the little deceiver's throat. You will lose your head for this, she warned. I hope not, came the laconic response. Where would I put my hat? Rhea edged the sword closer to the doctor's throat. Sensing that now wouldn't be the best time to discuss the logistics of headwear, he pushed on. You can stand around threatening me all day if you wish, but we should go inside. It's much warmer. Slowly, taking a single step forward, Rhea yielded the blade to allow him to pass. The fates had decreed that the little man would aid her. She could not argue against that. Still, 
removing the door seemed a strange way to proceed. Chuckling to himself, the doctor pushed against the middle of the wall and it swung open. The door was incongruously small, no bigger than the one in Decker's hut. The doctor turned, but before he could mutter a word, Rhea had swept past him and into the temple. Rhea surveyed the temple. Every aspect of it surprised her. She was struck by how it was a single large hall, how each of its four walls was lined with shelves of compact clay jars. She could not begin to calculate the exact number of the jars, but each seemed to be sealed tightly with a matching clay lid. The corners of the room were occupied by statues, a different one in each corner, she recognised them as the four gods of life, Veraniya, Lesoki, Aneto and Sibulon. In their hands, each god held another clay jar, but these were open. In the centre of the hall was a shimmering blue dome, large enough to house the chained sleeping terror within. Between the door and the dome stood a simple marble font, which Rhea cautiously approached. She saw the floating number 15 reflected in its clear, still contents. She knew then she could trust the evidence of her eyes. There were no traps rigged to shoot her with arrows or remove the floor beneath her feet and impale her with hidden spikes. While she saw everything with perfect precision, she did not comprehend its meaning. Is it your prisoner? she asked. Yes! Norger is responsible for devastation on countless worlds for millennia, said the doctor, indicating the dragon with his umbrella. I'm here to make sure its power dissipates safely. It has killed, Rhea asked, circling the dome to find an entry point. The list of its victims is innumerable, said the doctor. Then let me kill it. Let justice be done and let my sister be saved. I don't understand your aversion, Rhea replied, angry that the dome presented no obvious point of ingress. Executions are just as barbaric as murder, said the doctor. Having the correct paperwork signed in triplicate doesn't make it any more palatable. Then perhaps, said Rhea, approaching the doctor, we could compromise. You lower this dome, I take just enough of the blood I need and leave. The dragon and your morals stay standing. The doctor shook his head firmly. I'm afraid I can't let you do that, he said. Norger has a particularly fiendish defence mechanism. It draws strength from being attacked. The slightest cut could revive it from its current slumber. Ace and I had enough trouble trapping it in this universe in the first place. Rhea honed in on the only piece of information she deemed relevant. It's cursed? she asked. No, well, yes. Well, you see, it's not really a dragon at all, said the doctor. Rhea looked over at the dragon-shaped dragon asleep under the dome. It looks like a dragon, Rhea began. Yes, the doctor interjected. It looks like a dragon. Sounds like a dragon. Bleeds like a dragon, Rhea cut in. 
and yes, would bleed like a dragon, but it is nothing of the sort. The doctor leant on his umbrella. Noga is an elder god, a trickster, and I'm here to make sure it fades away without causing any more damage. Rhea's eyeline flicked above his head. Knowing that the numbers were swirling, the doctor pushed on. Attacking Norga will unleash unimaginable devastation. What is the point of saving your sister, only to condemn her to a more protracted and painful death at the claws of that monster? Rhea smiled at the number one above his head, replete with the phrase critical failure below it. Her reply was firm. It is the only way. As he made no physical attempt to stop her, Rhea ignored the little man's ongoing protestations. She moved to stand in front of one of the sealed jars and lifted it carefully off the shelf. It weighed no more than a bag of flour. Checking the urge to lift the lid, she held it in her left hand and murmured an incantation. Her hand shone an effervescent yellow and her eyes glazed over in the same shining hue. Her suspicions were confirmed. The jar was rigged with a magical trap. Something the matter? The doctor was standing by her shoulder. The concern sounded sincere, but Rhea knew that honest men were better at hiding their lies. She had been too invested in her studies to notice he had stopped talking. I would not say so, she replied. Her longing to kill this troublesome intermediary grew. Once she had the dragon's blood, she could also have his. Gently returning the deceitful pottery to where she found it, she re-examined the room with her new vision. Every jar, whether sealed on the shelves or held in the never-ending grip of a statue, was a trap. Oddly enough, neither the statues themselves nor the font had any magical properties at all. She muttered a second incantation and the room returned to normal. She moved to study the statue of Veronaya. To her dismay, the doctor moved with her. The statue stood only a little taller than Rhea herself. Carved from the same marble as the font, it carried Veronaya's signature symbols. The twin-faced owl perched on the right shoulder, the three-stringed bow slung across her back, the ever-smiling helm atop her head. One of the four gods of life, and yet her jar was a trap. All the jars were. Hidden in the heart of the world sit the four gods, Rhea began to recount, playing the eternal game. So long as the gods play, the world turns and the song of life continues. Praise be to the gods of life. She repeated the words, trying to trigger some clue to her current predicament. Fascinating, said the doctor. Although it seemed like a reply, his words suggested he too was working through some internal conundrum. Do you know, for as long as I've been here, I've never heard that. Still, I suppose that's what living on an isolated mountain will do to you. As myths go, it's a sensible enough translation. The gods are, in fact, four incredibly powerful pan-dimensional beings, and they do sustain this entire reality, their own personal land of fiction. But other than that, the game, the sitting, 
all entirely accurate. Rhea turned on the diminutive Delea. You speak as though you know them, she pressed. The doctor smiled slightly and clarified. A little. I did a favour for them back when I had more scarf than I knew what to do with. It's why they kindly let me keep Norger here until his power feeds away. He gestured towards the dragon, which Rhea saw had awoken. It was staring at both of them with furious intent. I believe the mess of numbers is them rolling dice, designed to make sure that the universe is balanced and not one of them can gain an advantage. I've wondered if this system could benefit my universe, but I'd probably end up having to load the dice. The doctor was interrupted by Rhea's sword resting on his neck. Is that your answer for everything? Threaten it into silence? The doctor replied, seeming more irritated than intimidated. You swore to help me kill the dragon. Why do you delay me now? Chuckling, the doctor pointed out that he'd only agreed to let her in. He hadn't said anything about helping anyone kill anything. He began to offer to go to Decca to help heal her, but Rhea interjected. This prison is of your design. Show me how to free the dragon. Both of them looked up to see how her demands would be met. The numbers tripped over each other, promisingly high, momentarily swapped with disappointingly low. When the final number stood firm over Rhea's head, it was a measly two. It's simple, said the doctor, smiling. You turn around, go back to your sister, and everyone, except Norger, remains free. Rhea paced the room angrily. The dragon's gaze followed her as she went. Soon, she thought, if it wasn't the jars and it wasn't the statues, for she hadn't found any secret switches, then it must be... She rounded on the font. It too was devoid of secrets. No hidden panels or switches, no markings to decipher. Perhaps the liquid within held the answer. Cupping her hands, she extracted a sample and cautiously drank. Water. Plain, harmless water. Her hands came crashing down into the bowl, splashing the floor around her. The little man did not react, but simply stood as though pondering a difficult chess move. Rhea surveyed the room once again. Nothing else caught her eye. Therefore, she thought, I know all that I need. She considered using a jar to scoop the water, but quickly discarded the notion. The jars were traps. And yet, why were the gods' jars open when the others were shut? Perhaps... Rhea took another scoop of font water, and as speedily as she could manage, made her way to the statue of Veronia. Careful not to touch the jar herself, she opened her hands and let the water fall into the open jar. She did not hear it touch the bottom. The statue itself remained motionless, and no ethereal noises rang out. No clue that there was a sequence. To be thorough, she took handfuls of water to the jugs of Lesoki, Aneto and Sibulon. She heard not a single drop of any fill them. 
Making a mental note never to put her hand in any of them, she returned to the font. She leant on it, and that's when the clanging began. It wasn't loud. It sounded like two pixies engaging in a vicious duel. The rhythm was erratic, fast and then slow. Feeling victory was at last hers, Rhea wheeled round to face the disappointment. It was the doctor making music with cutlery. Oh, sorry, he offered, making no attempt to halt the music. It helps me concentrate, and I just thought... Uh, never mind. Seeing the disapproval in Rhea's face, he finished off his music with a flourish. Rhea stared at him. This man, who only helped when fate intervened. This man who acted the clown. This man was the answer. He was as much a trickster as he claimed the dragon to be. The temple that was really a prison. The door that wasn't really the door. The statues of the four gods of life that really carried death. Tricksters operate by confusing you or placing you in situations you can't win, she mused. The rules are never what they appeared to be. As she'd found everything in the room, something must be missing, deliberately missing. She looked over at the statues of the gods of life, then at the font with its watery contents. Water gave life to a multitude of things. She looked at the dragon, which took life from so many but could give it to Decker. She looked at the doctor, the man who abhorred murder. And then she had an idea. Not one she was certain of, but a good working theory. Rhea slung her satchel to the ground and rapidly began searching through it. The doctor's eyes widened in alarm. He began to speak, but all he could manage was a short, ah, as Rhea had pulled out a bottle and was emptying it into the font. The water that gave life had to be made to kill. Rhea finished pouring the poison and discarded the empty bottle. She had no idea if her theory was correct, but she had little time to wait. She turned to face the dragon and drew her sword in delight, for there no longer stood any barrier between her and her prey. Stop! the doctor protested. You can't imagine the powers that you are meddling with! It had no effect. Rhea charged, sword held high. Norga smiled. It locked eyes with Rhea as she got closer and let out a deep chuckle. Not stopping to think why it was apparently amused, Rhea slashed. She pierced its skin. Norga began to convulse and a piercing violet light shot out from its rejuvenating injury. Rhea threw herself away to avoid being hit by the erratic lashing. The doctor ran over and helped her to her feet. We've got to leave! This way! the doctor said, turning towards the door. Rhea sprung past him. She turned, blocking his escape, and held the tip of her blade against his chin. You honestly thought you could hide our sovereign? Rhea began. The Norgrian Order witnessed you kidnap our divine monarch. We scattered and we searched. It wasn't too hard to find where you had taken our ruler. We are linked to Norga. We can always feel its presence. As Rhea spoke, Norga struggled its way back to health, 
the violet ray growing ever more intense. Of course, Rhea continued, once I had punched my hole into this little play universe you hid in, I couldn't threaten you to release our monarch. We saw you, Doctor, willing to give up your life to save others, willing to be so noble, willing to do anything to save another life. Decker, the Doctor growled. Quite, Rhea mocked. Whilst learning about this world with its numbers, I stumbled across Decker. Sweet, charming, looks a bit like me, Decker. Befriending her was so easy, and soon enough, I was the sister she never had, and soon, never will have. Flames started whirling out of Norga's snout, and its tail began lashing out. The numbers, the dice rolls from those idiots in our reality, gave it all a pleasingly thrilling edge. But I knew you, Doctor. I knew you couldn't let someone's sweet sister die. The doctor had remained motionless throughout the entire speech. He looked resigned to the situation, as though he knew he had already lost this game and was working on how to win the next. Flames licked the walls of pots. Norga pulled at its chains and shattered them with ease. Doctor! Every syllable Norga uttered made the room gently shake. I told you, Doctor, I do not lose. Any victory you thought you had won was simply a postponed defeat. Rhea closed the temple door as Norga moved forward to kill the Doctor. The advancing dragon pinned the Doctor against the wall, Rhea could see the absolute terror in his eyes. Her glee was uncontrollable. Norga's jaws were inches from the doctor. The smell was almost as bad as the diatribe. You will pay for every day you have blighted my existence, doctor. I am power incarnate. I will sweep away galaxies, burn the time lords, crush your precious earth. I will be invincible for time immemorial. The jaws widened, preparing to swallow the doctor whole. He pushed his body against the wall, trying to guide himself towards the door. Rhea's hands were twitching with delight. Time to die, doctor, declared Norga in triumph. The doctor closed his eyes. Rhea leaned forward, clinging to every word of her victorious god. Then, Norga propelled Rhea across the hall with a single flick. That's the usual sort of thing, isn't that right, Professor? said Norga. Recovering on the far side of the hall, Rhea picked up her sword and straightened herself into a combat stance. Ah, yes, where are my manners? the doctor began. Introductions. Rhea, agent of Norgar, may I introduce you to my friend Ace? Hiya, said the dragon, waving a wing casually. My liege, where is my liege? Rhea scanned the room in alarm. She did not understand what was happening. She felt Norgar's presence. It was definitely in this hall. We left it in, which jar was it, Ace? It was the doctor's turn to mock. 
The dragon pointed at a jar on the left-hand wall with its tail. Maybe that one? To be honest, Professor, I can't really remember. They all look the same. Rhea charged forward. She would kill the false god and free the true divine monarch. She let out an angry scream as she ran. But with another powerful flick, Ace effortlessly knocked the sword out of Rhea's hand, sending her tumbling to the floor in the process. As she rose, she saw her sword lay useless far away on the other side of the hall. You see, Rhea, the doctor said, stepping forward to meet her. When I normally talk about universes, especially when I imply I'm not from this one, most people tend to react. The other and more obvious tell was the numbers. Only people who enter this reality can see the mechanics of it. And since Decker couldn't see the numbers... The doctor let Rhea come to the conclusion they already both knew. She couldn't be my sister? Precisely, the doctor continued. It also helped that we've been expecting you. The rest of your order have been showing up here in bits and pieces, trying to free Norgar. The dragon, Rhea interjected. She looked at the dragon in disgust and saw it returning the favour. The avatar of a dragon, replied the doctor, kindly generated for Ace by the four beings that run this universe. Each of your order would try something different to free it. Some would fail trying to open the locks, some would stick their hands in the jars, and some would drink the water. He placed extra emphasis on those last few words. Rhea's face was struck with alarm. She ran to look at the now-poisoned font. It was just water. It had been free from magic. She restated this out loud in panic. Something inside her started to burn. Clear water, free from magic, but laced with a nanite transportation system, enough to reunite you with your beloved sovereign in the shadow dimension. The burning intensified. It felt like her stomach had been replaced with a furnace. She threw herself towards the doctor, trying to enact last-minute vengeance. Her revenge never came. Rhea faded away before she could hit the floor. And that's the last of them, Ace the Dragon declared with glee. Are you coming back now, Professor? Not that I haven't enjoyed being a dragon, but these four bozos aren't the most stimulating company. Not just yet, Ace. I've got one more thing to do. I'm going to need a lift. And a donation. The doctor pushed the door to Decker's hut open. She lay on the bed, sweating with a fever. In the corner, Gavaroche, a bearded man of about 60, was sitting asleep in a chair. Decker looked panic-stricken at the doctor. Ah, no need to be alarmed, he said softly, trying not to wake the sleeper. I've come to help. He took a little vial from his jacket pocket, holding up its red contents to the light. Dragon's blood, he said. Ace had given it freely. It was, after all, as she pointed out, her avatar's blood and didn't hurt her. Where's Rhea? Decker asked. The doctor paused, 
not certain if the truth was the correct approach. Where's Rhea? Decker asked again. She would kill... But broke into a coughing fit before she could finish. The dragon's gone, said the doctor hurriedly. You'll never hear from it again. But Rhea... began Decker anew. I'm sorry, said the doctor. He poured the dragon's blood into the cauldron. Taking several other ingredients from the disorganised shelves, he began to stir. After several contemplative moments of silence, Decker said, She died honourably. She would have wanted that. She called us battle sisters. I've never been any good at fighting, but I thought I'd die doing something heroic. I spent my time imagining it all, but she actually killed monsters, saved people. She was a hero. As the doctor stirred, he could see, reflected in the mirror, the amorphous numbers churning. Please, he muttered under his breath. And when I was poisoned, Decker continued, she stayed. She didn't have to, but she took an oath to look after me. When I recovered, she was going to find whoever was responsible. The numbers began to slow. Sixteen, two, seven. The doctor stirred a little faster. I just wish that I could thank her for everything that she's done, said Decker. The doctor studied the numerical reflection in the cauldron. Twenty, with the words critical success hanging without support below. He let a smile gently crease his face as he ladled the antidote. She used to smile like that, said Decker weakly. It meant things were going to get better. The doctor helped Decker drink the cure from the ladle. I can't promise you that, but I think Rhea would want you to lead the fullest life you could, said the doctor. You should be back to full health by the end of tomorrow. I'm sorry to leave you, but I have to go. Don't worry, said Decker. Gavroche will wake soon. Thank you for helping me, and helping her. The doctor rose, making his way to leave. Upon opening the door, he turned to face Decker one last time. I'm sorry for your loss, he said, before closing the door behind him.